Well, good morning, everyone. It's a great morning. Spring is around the corner, maybe. Maybe we can get our hopes up on that. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be with my brothers and sisters here at the Preston Road Church of Christ. If you're a guest with us this morning, if you're here in person or you're watching online, we're sure glad you're with us. Thanks for being here. We're honored that you would spend your morning here with us today. You might be looking for a church home or you're here visiting family and friends and whatever has brought you our way, we're glad that you're here. I'm thankful to those who have led us so far in worship, to Jeff and the worship team, uh, to Randy, uh, to Greg and Lori and, and, and others. I'm thankful for the ways that you have drawn our hearts and minds into the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's just an honor uh, to be uh, with those who are leading you in worship. We are in our second to last lesson in our James series. We're almost wrapped up. And last week... We talked about our plans and our calendars and our desire to know our schedules and be in control of our schedules. And James reminds us that ultimately God is in control of our schedules, even when we very much want to be in control. So we talked about things like praying over our calendar as we think about how we're going to spend uh, our time. And we reminded ourselves that ultimately the Lord knows if we will wake up tomorrow, even if we don't. And so we ought to do the right thing now because we're not guaranteed another day. We're going to talk about some more control issues today that James wants to, to, to convict us of as we think about this idea of waiting. And I did a lot of reading about how much time we spend waiting and you can think of the, the areas where you spend most of your time waiting in frustrating ways, whether it's sitting in traffic, and I now know the highways around here that that's most likely to happen, although I'm not ever quite sure, or the amount of time you spend waiting in line in places like the airport or the pharmacy or other places, or the amount of time you spend on hold with different uh, companies. And I, you can't always have a higher than always higher than average call volume, can you? Is that, that mathematically it doesn't work out if it's always higher than average, but that's what I get told. You know, we're experiencing higher than average call volumes. Is there a time, I don't know, when you're experiencing lower than average? I would just want to know, when is that? And how come your options have always changed? You know, just, I, I just have some thoughts on waiting on the phone. It's frustrating to wait because we like to be in control of time and some of us like to be able to make a call and get things fixed and not have to wait on someone else. Or maybe you find yourself thinking, you know, I, if I were in charge, this would be moving a lot faster. If I were on that construction crew there on that pothole, this would be done yesterday, you know. If I was up there at that ticket counter, I'd have this all fixed. And when we're waiting, we tend to, I don't know, be at our worst. Maybe we grumble some. <laughs> Might have heard that word in the scripture a minute ago. Waiting doesn't often bring out the best in us because we like to be in control. We like to do things and take things into our own hands. And so James is going to talk to us about that today. The scripture we're going to focus on comes after a, a brief interlude. We, we, we alluded to this in another lesson, but in the very first part of James 5, James seems to turn his attention maybe to people even who aren't Christians. Most scholars think the first few verses of James 5 are about outsiders because he uses different language and then he gets back to brothers and sisters language in the passage we're going to deal with directly. In the first few verses of James 5, he's talking about, let's just say it, rich oppressors. That's who he's talking to. People who are engaging in practices like wage theft, 
who are exploiting their workers, not paying them enough, working them too hard. Those oppressed people, I think, are the Christians, because that's who James will address next. But he's talking to these oppressive people who engage in unfair, unjust practices. And he says, you know, you're going to get what's coming to you, because God's not going to put up with that. And so God will make things right. And you can't continue to engage in these unjust practices. So as he turns his attention then to those who are on the receiving end of these unjust practices, he wants to tell them that God is going to make things right and that they won't have to endure this forever. But the fix might not come as soon as they would like. And so James is going to encourage them in their patience and perseverance as they bear up under some of these unjust practices. So I just want to read the first uh, verse in this passage that Greg and Lori read, the first part of the first verse, chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So he wants to say there's a, there's a point in the future, the Lord's coming, where this will get made right, but until then, be patient. Now words like patience, you know, have many shades to them. And there are a few words that James uses in this passage to deal with the concept of patience. He uses them kind of in different verses. Here, the word he uses for patience really has to do uh, with when you're tempted to retaliate. It has to do with long-suffering that doesn't retaliate. In other words, don't act out. Don't take matters into your own hands. And you can imagine these people who are being oppressed thinking... You know, I hear these promises that God's going to make things right, but this is taking a while, and he might be busy doing other things, or maybe he's not going to do anything. And so I need to go ahead and take matters into my own hands, perhaps even in violent ways, and fix this. So James is saying to these people on the receiving end, don't act out. Be patient. Don't try to fix this yourself. And James is going to be working from a lot of theological principles that we know about. When we read, for instance, Jesus getting up and reading the Isaiah scroll in his hometown, what does he say one of his his missions is? To set the oppressed free. What does Mary say in her song when she finds out that she is going to bear the child of God? That, That the rich will be brought down and the poor will be lifted up. That the hungry will be well fed and those who are well off will be hungry. This theme of making things right is part of who Jesus is. And so James knows that, that that even the return of the Lord will bring about a different fate for these people. But in the meantime, they don't need to act out. Now what James is going to do in this passage is give us three different examples of what it looks like to be patient And I don't know if you're like me, but when someone is trying to get me to understand an abstract concept, I really appreciate it when they give me some examples. What would it look like, James? You want me to be patient? Okay, what does that look like? Who's done that that I can model myself after? So James has some imagined and real examples that we can follow. And the first example he has for us is a farmer. In verse 7, the second half, he says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So here's a farmer who does what farmers do all the time in 
plants the seeds and then hopes, hopes that the rains that come every year will in fact come. What if this is the year the rains don't come? So the farmer wakes up every morning and wonders, is this the day? Is this the day? And the rains don't come. And the rains don't come. I I know this is how rains work. And I know in the autumn and the spring the rains come. But what if it's not going to happen this year? What if all my work doesn't pay off? What if the rain cycle doesn't work? And now I don't have food to eat and I have no income. And the farmer wonders if the work that he does is going to pay off. You know, the farmer is just like the person who just gets up every day just tries to do the right thing. I wake up in the morning, I do what I'm supposed to do, I carry out my business, I love my family, I do my work. And it just doesn't seem to be working out for me. I, I just don't know if this is ever going to pay off. You know? I go to work every day and I do my job and I just feel ignored by, the, by those above me. I feel like the raises and the promotions, I don't know if they're ever going to come. I don't know if anyone cares about the hard work that I do. You know? I, I try to pour into my family and my relationships, and they just, I don't know, they're just distant from me. The connections don't seem to be happening. I wonder if all this is for nothing. Is this ever going to change? I know how it's supposed to work. I know that you're supposed to work hard and it's supposed to pay off. I know that you're supposed to pour into people and the relationships are supposed to strengthen, but... It does not feel that way for me. That's our farmer. He just does the everyday right thing and worries and frets if the world is going to work the way it's supposed to. There's one example. The farmer. Be patient like the farmer. The second example James gives is the prophet's. And so as he turns his attention to more concrete examples, we can turn our attention to prophets that we know. So he says in verse 10, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now these prophets, you know some of them, they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They were hard at work, preaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Isaiah and Jeremiah, I mean, these folks preach for decades without really a single convert. It doesn't, they're wondering if all this is for nothing. And in the meantime, things are not working out so great for the prophets. Elijah gets threatened by Jezebel after his confrontation with some prophets of Baal, and he has to run for his life. Amos gets insulted by the chief priest at the sanctuary, and he's told, don't come back here again. Micaiah rebukes false prophets and their announcements. He says they've been duped by a lying spirit. And for that, Zedekiah slaps him and sticks him in prison. Zechariah, who's a preacher's kid, is stoned to death for rebuking people who, who abandoned the temple and turned to idols. So these prophets that James is talking about, they were ridiculed. They were told to be silent. They're threatened with being reported to the authorities. They're denied entry to the temple. They're put in stocks and chains. They're slapped, stuck in prison, starved, threatened with death, and actually put to death. And they are examples of patience. You better believe that these human beings like you and me wanted to retaliate. You better believe that there were some times they wanted to go and fix this. 
We'd understand it if they did that. But these prophets, they patiently stayed the course. They didn't act out. They did the work they were called to do. You may have had some times when you are genuinely trying to speak a word from the Lord. And you're doing it out of love. And people turn on you. In fact, if, if you notice the prophets, who turns on the prophets? It's not the outsiders. It's their, it's their own. It's the people of God. We've all had different experiences where we genuinely are trying to speak a word from the Lord, trying to help people follow scripture, and yet we get turned on. You have your own stories. Some of us have stories, even in the past couple years, when we were trying our best, even imperfectly, to address a lot of the racial tension that was happening in our country and trying to be biblical and not partisan about those things and all sorts of accusations come flying. Some fair and some not. And I remember particular conversations where I thought, I don't think this is working out for me. I'm trying my best to speak from Scripture and I'm getting accused of some of the worst possible motives in the world. You have some different issues and some different stories where you really feel like your good intentions, you are speaking on behalf of the Lord in the ways that Scripture tells us to do, and it's not working out. And in fact, your own people are turning on you. They're threatening you. They want to report you. They don't want you to come back. The prophets are an example of patience, of those who did not act out even when they had every reason to do so and I'm certain every impulse to do so. Then there's the final example that James gives, which is Job. James says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, James uses the word here, perseverance, and there's a different shade to that word. So where the earlier word was patience that, that doesn't retaliate, doesn't act out, this perseverance is this patient endurance that does not succumb. So if before we said don't act out, now we're also saying, but don't give up. Don't give up. The story of Job is astounding. This person lost everything. His, his goods, his livestock, his income, his family, his health. And was pressed on all sides to give up. And if ever a person had a reason to give up, it's Job, isn't it? People told him, just give up. You can't endure this. It's not working out for you, Job. You should just give up. I've already gotten to know enough of you to know that some of you have just got one thing coming at you after another. Sometimes it's all sort of in the same category. One difficult doctor's visit turns into a diagnosis that turns into surgery after surgery and complicated report after complicated report and it's just piling on and you wonder is this ever going to get better or it's it's a job loss and a loss of a loved one and a loss of a relationship all these things just keep piling on and on and you just think this is not working out at all this is not what i signed up for and I look around, everybody else doesn't have these problems, although they might. But it feels like everyone 
has it better. No one has dealt with what I've dealt with. That's what we feel like when these things hit us over and over and over again. And James wants to say, don't give up. If Job can endure, so can we. If Job can say, like he says in chapter 19 of that book, if he can say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. What a resilient message of hope. It's not easy when it's just one thing after the next. And yet it's not foolish to continue to hope in the Lord. James has a specific warning for us, too, in this passage. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So in the same passage where he says, you know, the judge is there and he's going to get these people who've been wronging you, he wants to remind us, but don't think you're exempt That same judge who might come after them might come after you if you start turning on one another. Don't grumble against one another. It's real easy when you're waiting to turn on each other and to get cranky and grumble against the very people who are supposed to be on our side. You know what that feels like. Sometimes you've got something happening in one realm of your life. Maybe it's work, and you can't do anything about that, and you're not allowed to grumble there. So what do you do? You come home and dump it on your loved ones. Why would you do that? But we all do it. Grumbling is a very strong temptation when we're waiting and we feel out of control. James wants to say, don't do that. You might be tempted to turn on each other, but remember the real source of the problem and then remember the solution. What's James's solution? What's his message of hope? He says the Lord's coming is near and that Lord who is coming is full of compassion and mercy. So you might think that God is far away and this is never going to be fixed. Or you might think, well, when the Lord comes, none of this really changes. Nothing gets better. James says, this God who I'm telling you to wait on is not as far away as it feels like. And this God that I'm telling you to wait on knows what you're dealing with. He's not ignoring you. He's not apathetic. He's not callous. This God that I'm telling you to wait on is full of compassion and mercy. And so if you are in situations where you feel like you are in need of compassion and mercy, then your best solution is to be patient until the Lord's coming. Don't be taking it into your own hands and don't be giving up. So I want to spend a few minutes on a couple of right steps we might take from this passage. We might summarize James' teaching here as don't act out, don't give up. That's the first thing. Don't act out, don't give up. We're reminded of teachings. Paul does this in Romans chapter 12. He reminds us not to take revenge, but to leave room for God's wrath. 
Quoting the Old Testament, he says, It's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. It is so easy. It is so easy to want to fix this stuff. It's so easy to get out there and find our own solutions. Some of us have tried to do that, and I bet if we got in a room and talked about it, we would list our many failures when we want to take control of things we shouldn't take control of. You might be on the receiving end of a lot of injustice. You might be treated poorly, even for doing the right thing. And you might be tempted to find a scheme that's a good solution to that. James wants to say, don't go acting out just because you're tired of waiting, just because you're tired of nothing getting addressed. Don't go act out. But at the same time, don't give up. So that's sometimes our temptation, isn't it? We think we've got two solutions, either take matters into my own hands or just check out completely. That is not the answer. James gives us what we could be doing in the meantime. At least he gives us the opposite. So how would we frame it positively? Our second right step would be to encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews sums all this up. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. It goes right with what James is saying, doesn't it? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What do you do in the meantime while you're waiting? Encourage one another. We need each other. Some of us in here are almost ready to give up. Somebody in here needs somebody else to say, don't give up. Put your hope in the Lord. We're all in different phases. That's what we do. We don't turn on each other. We don't grumble against each other. We encourage one another. You know what happens when a loved one is near their last moments. A lot of the conflict just seems to fade, doesn't it? If we believe the end is near, some of those petty differences go away and we focus on hope. We focus on encouraging each other. Well, what if we believed that the Lord is near? How does that change how we treat each other? How does that change the frequency with which we turn on each other? We encourage one another. People in this room are having a tough time hoping today. Your presence is an encouragement to them. Be that instead of grumbling against one another. We encourage one another as the Lord's coming draws near. So the two next right steps we can take from this are don't act out, but don't give up. And encourage one another. Some of you today are just thinking that your hope is not going to pay off. You might wonder if it's foolish to put your hope in the Lord. Because it seems like he doesn't care. It seems like he's never going to fix things. I get that. Makes me think of those who had put their hope in Jesus being who he said he was. And for three days wondered if in fact they had been foolish. They had been duped. And on that Easter Sunday morning their hopes were vindicated. I want you to know that putting your hope in the risen Lord is not foolish. It's not naive. It's the best thing you can do. So if you find yourself 
like so many others, wondering, should I wait this out? Is it worth waiting this out? I want you to know that it is the best possible path forward to put your hope in the risen Lord Jesus. Let's be standing as we sing.